hello, folks, and welcome to another episode, another great episode. This is actually a really good episode of Problematic Fave. Actually, all episodes are good. This week, we welcome Maureen Ryan, author of Burn It Down, a book that we are going to talk in-depth about. And this is kind of a different episode because we talk about Hollywood as a whole, but we also lean into the book and what it talks about because it's basically talking about all the problems of Hollywood. Maureen is great. We, we kind of dive deep. And I'm excited for y'all to hear this episode. And don't forget, please email us your problematic phase at, at thisisdiaspora at gmail.com. Um, so without further ado, here is Maureen Ryan on Problematic Fave. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Problematic Fave podcast. This week, we have a different kind of episode. Um, I want to welcome our guest. We have a journalist, writer, whose work has been seen in the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, Vulture, TV Guide, and is she is currently a contributing editor at Vanity Fair. Her book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood, is out now, and my oh my is it tea. It's not only a cup of tea. It's a whole goddamn steaming kettle of tea. But it is also a glaring spotlight on many toxic parts of this industry and how to navigate all of it. So let us all welcome to Problematic Fave, author, writer, extraordinaire, journalist extraordinaire, Maureen Ryan. Maureen! Hello. Wow. It, an intro like that, I can only disappoint from here on out. But no, that sounds amazing. I want to be that person. She sounds cool. Yeah. No, you're, you are cool. Wait, you know what? I forgot to ask before we sign up. Have we ever met in person? We I haven't. Like I've read your work happened. many times. We haven't yeah. met, but this is, you know, this is us meeting now. And I'm very excited that, you know, when, when you were like, we should do it. I was like, yes, whatever. Dino says, let's do that immediately. I was so glad that yeah. you reached out. I really was. Yeah. Well, I also think we've probably been in like TCA rooms together and 100%. all that stuff. I'm sure we have. Yes. And we, we, and we may have met in passing here crossed. or there, but yeah, but yeah. this this is my chance to, um, yeah, just chop it up for an yeah. hour. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it's like, so currently your book is out and, you know, we were talking about your book book tour before we signed. how is it going right now with this book you're on the other side kind of I now. am and it's like yeah. yeah and when you spend you know to do a big project you know whether it's writing a big script anything that's a long-term project you spend so much time of, of thinking about what will the other side be like but you really don't know mm. and with this book yeah. I was holding in you know you will be surprised to hear a lot of nervousness and worry and just you know whatever it is if it was my memoir or a work of fiction or whatever you want i wanted my first book everyone wants some big project they do to be received well but this was me kind of throwing a series of grenades at the industry and as we know people in the entertainment industry do not have delicate egos and they do not flip out yeah. about any perceived slight ever <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> um yeah so there's like a lot like you know, I have an ego too. So like, I, you know, I understand like when people feel attacked and whatnot. So I wondered from the industry and then from the public, what, what would the response be? And I held in that nervousness. Um, and you know, will I be, what I, by the end you get so worn down by how much work it is. My, my only two markers left on the table were, I didn't have the, the energy to worry about anything, but I, I want to be proud of what I've done. And, and I really don't want to get sued. And, you know, so far, <laughs> you know, touch wood, it's uh, so far it's okay. Well, both count. But what I wasn't yeah. expecting was how, how do I say this without seeming like a huge jerk? Um, it, it's been an <laughs> enormously positive reception. And mm. what's encouraging to me is that, you know how sometimes people will slide into the DMs and be like, you're being too mean about X or you're being too mean about that person. Mm -hmm. Or you're like, you know, like kind of like defending it all. I've gotten the opposite. You know, so many people on in all my sort of like DM box inboxes or email, text, whatever, people are just, you know, I'm really glad that you wrote this or I saw myself in this chapter or, 
yeah, we need to do a lot more work. And I, I, I really understood what you were going for there. And that, that's just mm. so heartening to me because, you know, aside from my tender little ego, which of course, obviously is the most important thing here. Um, I really would not have gone down this path of doing a really, really challenging book to write, you know, nonfiction, mm -hmm. heavily reported books that have to be heavily lawyered because people on um, certain people are lawyering up during the process of the reporting. Um, mm. That's a very challenging task. And, you know, 400 pages, up to, I think it's around a thousand citations. Um, that's a lot of work. I and I didn't really have, I didn't give myself enough time, frankly, to do it. But I was proud of it by the end. I was really proud of it. But I just didn't know what you live within your head or even on the page amongst you and your editor and the copy editor and the fact checker and the lawyer. You, you all live in this little tiny cave with it for so long that I'm really glad that people and sort of like the, the audience for Hollywood products and the people who are making Hollywood shows and films, I think that there's a great appetite to not only get into these deeper and harder and more complicated conversations, but actually make changes that will be meaningful around all these areas in which Hollywood likes to trumpet how great it is and often isn't yeah. so great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I will read kind of the inside flap of the book, you know, kind of to get the, you know, the audience. I mean, I'm sure the audience knows what the book's about, but what I like love about the book is like the first sentence, it's never just one bad man. Um, and I feel like that is kind of indicative. It's, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, we I immediately know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it says abuse and exploitation of workers are baked into the foundation of the entertainment industry to break the cycle and make change that sticks. It's important to stop looking at headline making stories as individual events. We must look at the bigger picture to see how terrible norms, quote unquote, and harmful people are created and rewarded and with the right tools, how they can be altered or excised. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I, I think when you released this book and you said, burn it down, I've been, I've been, I was like, oh, oh, she's speaking my language because I'm like, I've been thinking the same exact thing. And also there's no way we could change this industry without burning it down or just totally laying waste and just kind of rebuilding and we're gonna have to make mistakes in order to get to what equity is right and that's kind of was like oh when you released this book i was all why is she in my mind <laughs> <laughs> i did well now okay this is the true story behind the story which is yeah. i invaded your mind and <laughs> i took all the many thoughts out of it and i put them in a book and you know what i'm not gonna pay you for your mind that's <laughs> because but that's how, how on brand with Hollywood. It's on brand. That is on brand. <laughs> exactly. We at one point, a, f a photographer came to my house to take some photos, and we um, made my son be the the photo assistant. And he's like, "Well, are you going to pay me for that?" I'm like, "No. Welcome to the industry." So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just think you are saying what a lot of people have been saying for years. I, I mean, I don't think I'm the only one, but it is just hard to be in an industry where um They're you know you love it so much yeah and but it's like for instance so i was at a play recently and I, there were like my, my friends were at it's like hollywood fringe festival right or like in the beginning of June and they were in a play and they're also TV actors and they came out of the play and I was just like, Oh, congratulations. I hate this industry. Like jokingly. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I say that a lot. Mm -hmm. I say that I hate this industry a lot. And then he was all, why do you hate it? I love it so much. Kind of like almost making me feel guilty. Yeah. Like, Wait a second. You're a little bit not, it, it's just weird. And it made me feel weird, but I was like, no, I have the right to not like it because there's something wrong with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I call it the brutal, yeah. terrible industry that I love. And I can't. Yeah. And the thing is, it's the what you used the word just a minute ago, I believe. It, it's There's going to be contradictory stuff about all of it because I feel mm. contradictory ways about people shows like I it's very complicated and actually that was a huge reason to write the book all of that complication and complexity you're referring to in your thoughts I I feel that as well and what but what I feel like the media can do at least you know some of the time what we can do is 
this is an industry in which retribution for perceived transgressions that are minor or just normal, normal speaking out, normal advocacy for oneself, normal things can be career ending. And so mm. oftentimes I think, you know, as a critic and as a reporter, what I've realized long ago was I can say things that people inside the system cannot often by using their own names say because they would be risking so much. They'd be risking being able to pay the rent, you know, on a real level you can risk. I've talked to many people who are out of the industry or who didn't work for years within the industry and, and, and not the reasons for that weren't anything to do with are they good at their job? Do they work hard? Are they collegial and collaborative? It wasn't anything to do with those things. It was simply somebody in power was mad at them. And so, mm. you know, speaking up for people within the industry, I mean, I'm, ex I'm excited about this conversation for many reasons, but one of them is you understand that the cost for anyone to speak up is high. The cost yeah. for someone who is from historically excluded communities is even higher. So mm. it's really hard to make change when all everything is incentivized in the direction of keeping people silent. And yeah. that's really how it's been for a hundred years. Mm -mm. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, that's why I've, yeah, you know, I, I joke and I say, I hate Hollywood. I'm like, oh, that's why I do the work that I do. And I think I've just now come to this point. I was like, oh, that's why I say, you know, burn it down or like lay waste to everything is that's why I say it's just like all, you know, we have to do that in order to like have these hard conversations that. Yeah. But then but then you then I or you or whoever, the person who kind of incites the conversation or starts the conversation becomes the bad guy or becomes why you got to bring that up, you know? Right. Yeah. And but then here's like, the weird thing, though. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm a white lady, I don't know what it is, but like, <laughs> and I will use the white lady powers, hopefully for good. Like, I'm not trying to yeah, care. You already have with this, this book. <laughs> well, I'm trying, you know, and I mean, because like the thing is, that's something I realized a long time ago. You know, yes, I do think, you know, women have it different, but like, I also realize that I do have many kinds of privilege, you know, and I'm trying to use that to go into rooms or to ask questions with the access that I have, I'm trying to use it to push people to acknowledge that these things are systematic. You know, Hollywood loves to just say, golly gee, we feel bad about this thing or that thing or the other thing. Yeah. So performative feeling bad doesn't accomplish anything. What are the yeah. concrete steps that you're taking to change the system? And for a hundred years, the modus operandi of the industry has been, if someone has power, access, influence, money, or all those things, they can use it however they want. And if you push back against that person, you are the bad guy. And you can be exiled. But, you know, they can't exile me because I don't work for them. So, haha, ha, yeah. I supervillain you. <laughs> womp, womp. Good luck with that. Well, uh, you know, I'm glad, you know, I think, you know, as you said, you know, as, as a white woman, you ha you recognize your privilege, but also as a male, I recognize my privilege, you know. Right. But, uh, you know, we, we have like all these intersecting identities that kind of, like, but in this room, you know, alone, it's just like all that kind of put us steps behind the dominant culture, which right. is white, male, cis, able-bodied, you know, and hetero. And uh, uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's that kind of injustice is that kind of like we see that through a different lens you know you see it through a different lens i see it through a different lens but i think if we talk about that out loud yeah. then and it's like when when you like i'm towards the end of your book i have one chapter left i tried to finish it before i got on here but um don't, don't uh, worry about but, it i'm um, just so pleased <laughs> that you read it it's very flattered thank you no no but i think when you were talking about before they started the tom swift room and they had kind of this workshop. Mm -hmm. And at first it seems like all LA and woo woo and mm -hmm. like bonding. And I was like, no, that's important because these people are creating a world. They're creating right. a story. They're creating human beings in this like entertainment that people are gonna consume 
and some of them are going to take it to heart, especially a story about a black queer entrepreneur. Right. That we haven't seen very many of those. And, and again, I actually think I'm, even if you just want to be the most craven, um, bottom line oriented capitalist of all time from having trawled in these arenas, I mean, first of all, human beings deserve to have their human dignity respected they should be treated respectfully Mm -hmm. professionally and humanely and typically that's not you know everyone i know in the industry has horror stories where that hasn't happened in some cases repeatedly at a number of jobs that hasn't happened but i truly Mm -hmm. do believe that even if you only if the only thing you care about is the money and the money aspect of things you know melinda shoe taylor um and uh, a chinese american woman who's a showrunner and a leader in the industry she's able to hire people who get a higher quote from a different show perhaps or maybe have competing offers but they want to go work for her because of what they've heard about her and her team's leadership and the welcoming and transparent environment that they create a big Mm -hmm. thing i talked about i talked about this with aline brosh mckenna with joe henderson with um uh, a number of industry leaders you know gloria calderon kellett mike you know there's an array of leaders who now and i even have people in my inbox these days now like well what should i do i'm like look be transparent with people about deadlines be transparent with people about expectations have people understand what the hours are because how many times have you heard about a set where they're regularly working 16 hours a day Mm. you know and and i wrote a whole chapter about sleepy hollow and that is a whole ball of wax that could have been the whole book but like if I was in this in the heat in North Carolina working 16 to 18 hours a day, man, I would be playing up like you would not believe like I, people would be like, she's problematic or, you know, like I would be truly the problematic fave because that's just <laughs> really challenging. You know, people in period clothing, in period right? They were all in period like clothing. with a suit and a wig and all this stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, people. There's a generation of creators who have had to essentially, um, or generations, I should say plural, because there have always been humane people, always, but they don't get the headlines, including from me. So parts of this book is like, okay, I need to do more of this. And part of what I was trying to do with the book is highlight people who, without enough help or support from these multi-billion dollar corporations, are training themselves and their peers and also the people coming up behind them how to be a manager who can hit basic notes of human decency and humane treatment. And that's, you know, tell people what the hours are, what the work expectations are. How many times have you heard about a comedy room where no one went at home before 10 at night, you know, and it wasn't because they were actually doing things, but like the showrunner didn't want to go home to his family or whatever, you know, like they, there are just these models in the industry of people working 16 hours a day or being kind of like almost held hostage at work and that even if you're treating people okay and giving them a free dinner or whatever that's still like people need to have rest they need to have lives they need to just be able to perform their job and do that well do it collegially even have fun without sacrificing every single fiber of their existence to the gig which oftentimes do you feel like you do a lot of this too, mystifying, demystifying the public? I do think there's more of an understanding now that this is not a glamorous industry. Yeah. I, I'm in, you know, I'm in and out of the houses of people who even have achieved a fair amount in the industry. They are, again, it's possible I'm just hanging out with the wrong people, but like, they're just regular, regular houses. You know, they're not like in, in some like entourage mansion. People are just trying to pay their bills in a gig economy. And I think that there's much more of an understanding now amongst the public that there's not this huge gap between them and, you know, a member of the crew for Criminal Minds or an actor on this film or that set or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm glad that, you know, with like you, you mentioned, you write about Sleepy Hollow and this and how the treatment, I mean... We don't have enough time because I really would like love to dive into Sleepy Hollow because I think Nicole Bahari is like one of the most amazing actresses ever. And just to like the treatment that she got on that show was horrid. Yeah. And also it's just and also, you know, you talk about SNL, which is surprising, but not surprising. And 
I love how you, it's kind of like SNL is its own sovereign nation outside yeah. of Hollywood. It's so interesting and how they work in their own ecosystem, yet it's still like almost like the Guam of Hollywood in this, in this like no, interesting totally. kind of, yeah. That's what I want to, that's what I want to blow apart for people, for the, for readers. I do think, you know, I live out here in the Midwest, you know, we are all hobbits out here and we barely like, you know, have any civilization, but like that's fine you know come on out here you know it's 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 we chill out we like it um you have a life we have we try to sometimes um i can afford a house out here and i sure could not do that in la um but you know it's it's people have this idea about the industry and about how it functions and they think it's all just like a sharing circle and everybody's eating organic muesli and it's all like, you know, this, these beautiful, mm. like, you know, no hierarchy, um, collaborative, it's very hierarchical. And to some degrees I go into, you understand decisions have to be made so that the film can be finished or so, so that the script can be done. There do have to be leaders, but, Hollywood is actually a series of autocracies and dictatorships. And if you happen yeah. to have an executive or a team leader or a showrunner or director who's not an abusive jerk, and uh, people of all genders, by the way, can be abusive jerks. I just want to be, be yeah. clear on that. Um, <laughs> that it's, it's very, like, abuse of power has not only been tolerated but i believe it's been heavily encouraged um that's yeah. how you that's there's this bucket of things that has been put in the bucket called creativity and it includes abuse of power um inhumane treatment long hours um you know uh racism and sexism at times homophobia at times you know oh i was just being funny or you can't take a joke or i'm just edgy yeah and I don't, you know, like, as I said in the book, being a good leader is kind of like being viewed as like, oh, like, that's your hobby. Like, Steve over there likes knitting. And um, Dino is actually a good boss. Those are their hobbies. They're not going to make you do it. It's just like, if you feel like yeah. doing that, cool. If not, they're going to wait for the press to come knocking at their door before they do anything about a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, speaking, you know, I think one of the interesting things we, we talked about a lot, one of the most interesting things that happens at the very beginning of the book, the, the chapter about loss. Yeah. Um, that I think, you know, that was released on Vanity Fair and we, we, we read it. I think if people who follow the industry or who industry, I think it was like an open secret, but kind of like we didn't know how deep it went. Yeah, I didn't um, either. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think with, um, I think what it surprised me the most was Damon Lindelof. He was interesting because out of everyone who was in a position of power in your book, he was, it seemed like he was the only one who was very like attentive to you. Like, mm -hmm. and I feel, I mean, you, you mentioned you've interviewed him plenty of times. I've interviewed him a couple of times and he seems like a decent guy. I'm not, but he also said like interesting things, you know? He, ha he held himself accountable by carefully tap dancing around things and saying he doesn't have any memory of the toxic things he said or witnessed by, um, but doesn't think anyone is making it. And he doesn't any think anyone is making anything up. Mm -hmm. And he validated your word cloud. I called it your word cloud of workplace hostility. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but <laughs> that was what it was. I mean, it's accurate. <laughs> But he was oblivious to the impacts that he was making on others in writers' rooms. And you said he began asking what would happen to his career after this. I immediately knew the answer to that. Nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, he's fine. Mm -hmm. He, But he sounded demoralized. Yeah. But when you were talking to him, and was he as open as it seemed as he was in the book? Because... I was very surprised that, like, it, Carlton Hughes, I don't, he was, it felt like he had a lot of email responses. Yeah. And, like, PR framed the responses mm -hmm. where Damon Lindelof actually kind of was actually leaning in a little bit. That's the the thing that I got from the book. Although he wasn't eating, leaning in totally, he was leaning in. Well, like, how was, yeah. was that uncomfortable for you? Yeah. Oh, it was uncomfortable, for sure. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. one of the things that made the Lost Chapter different, you know, I've written a lot of stories about um 
seriously talking I keep referring to the title of your podcast but you know problematic workplaces (laughs) is kind of become a specialty of mine so Mm -hmm. elements of what I uncovered at Lost were certainly you know the idea that people who had a hit show that was also well regarded amongst critics um, that they would abuse their power that was certainly not a no unknown to me Um, or you know Mm -hmm. allow their authority to um, hasten the creation of a toxic workplace. Um, but, you know, just to sort of like unpack the response a little bit, this is something I've gotten from people in general, like in actually Q's and Lindelof said the same thing on some, de- to some degree, I was not aware of, you know, these comments. And I think, you know, wherever you land on that as a response, I think, what does that say about being attuned to the humanity of the people around you? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, Mm. and again, like, I think it's important to provide context around these things. And that's something I really battled throughout the entire book. Um, And it was a reason to write a book because I do think, I do believe having talked now, even more people who worked on Lost since the book came out, Um, have reached out to me and I don't want to reveal the nature of those conversations but um, I would I'll just say as a general thing that on the day that the book was published I was confident of the reporting I remain very confident of the reporting Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just this was the way it was and I've seen people on social media saying um, well you know I was the only black writer on this show and I was having like full body PTSD and it was a different show entirely. And that was a reason to go back into Sleepy Hollow and to go back into what happened on Lost. Because the thing is, Fox got credit for having a show with a black female lead. Like, oh, look at us. And, you know, Orlando Jones was in the cast and they had in that first season more than one black family on screen yeah. in a genre piece, which I watch everything genre. You never saw that, almost never. <laughs> um, so they got, they wanted the credit for that. Like, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with this. People want the cookie for yeah. alleged, in, you know, diversity. I don't like that word, but like, I prefer inclusion. Inclusive cosplay. Inclu- inclusive <laughs> inclusivity cosplay. cosplay. And the thing oh, yeah. is to find out on Lost, especially, um, to talk to Monica Owusu-Breen, to talk to Harold Perrineau, to talk to other sources I, I spoke to. And, and honestly, it was split um, more or less half and half. And the thing is, some of the white folks were like, yeah, no, this was super messed up on race. And I would, you know, like, there was a lot of dismay around um, sexism and racism amongst the people I talked to who worked at Lost, who remain, you know, again, we get into that complexity. They remain proud of what they accomplished. But my main argument here is that they could have accomplished that and possibly even more had people not been crying on the way home from work multiple times per week. You know, like, it could have been better. And I, I actually think... You know, the reason to treat people, human beings like human beings is because they're human beings. Like, that's just like the f- f- end of the, end of story. Like, people should just be respected and be treated yeah. professionally and respectfully. End of story. No, no additional context required. But mm-hmm. also, an additional reason behind that on the list is it makes the work better if you listen to the people around you. But that is not the mode of the incredible auteur right the incredible auteur the artist the creative genius has to follow his own person it has to be a he most of the time if you want to get any amount of a budget for whatever you're doing um why why would he need input from others let alone the little people the tiny little people on the ground that are not on his level you know and so we've and I, 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 I sort of indict myself to some degree. I didn't know what I didn't know. I certainly didn't know this stuff when Lost was on, but I could see it on the screen. Yeah. And I squawked about it as a critic. Um, some of it, I wish I'd squawked more on the matters of race, um, but I didn't mm. understand. And I thought, well, they must have a good reason. And you know what I found out with Sleepy Hollow and with Lost? 
they didn't. Without. They didn't have a good reason. <laughs> no, the, the reason was not good. Um, and again, like to some degree, I'm, I'm inferring yeah. what went on. But, you know, I say it flat out. And I did wonder if I'd get pushback about this. I say it flat out. Sleepy Hollow declined in quality, in my view, every season. It certainly certainly declined in quality once Nicole Bahari left. Yeah. Um, why was that? I mean, we could, I needed 17,000 words to say why. There's a lot of reasons why, yeah. and there are even more that I couldn't get into within that real estate. But a big reason is the majority of the people who had power of that over that show were rich white people. Cisgender yeah. rich white people who live in Los Angeles and who all, you know, people don't believe that they can speak up until they do speak up. I was, I did a panel last year with Judy Reyes, who's been in Scrubs, um, Claws. She's a genius, like just an incredible genius. But that's something that she said to me that has stuck with me. We did like a little mini panel at the ATX festival. And she said, you don't believe that you are going to get to speak up until you do it. And the response is welcoming or the response is not vindictiveness. The response is not anger and rage. So, you you know, I was actually just saying this to um, a showrunner I respect. We were just kind of like emailing off the record. And he's like, how do I make sure that my room is healthy? People are going to be watching every interaction and how you deal with any pushback. Like even to the extent of like, well, I think we should turn the thermostat up I'm too cold like how do you deal with the smallest setbacks how do you people are watching you it's kind of like when you're raising kids a piece of advice I got or read in a magazine or something once was after our kids are about five or six they kind of tune out the blah 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 the Charlie Brown teacher voice that the, the parent voice yeah, yeah they're watching what you do and I think it's the same uh... with leadership people watch what leadership around them does and then they feel like they then they they clock is it safe for me to be who I am is it safe for me to speak up is it safe for me to push back or not because what yeah, yeah. what the genius model has always said is that only the genius's voice or you know Lauren Michaels at SNL only the the, the autocrats or the few power players in this situation get to have real power and everybody else should be afraid of them getting yeah. angry and that's not healthy that's yeah and i think you know i'm gonna take like kind of like not a detour but it's still having to do with like kind of what we're talking about because i do want to kind of get to uh, uh this I mean, well first off like i did i loved how you say inclusive cosplay or inclusionary cosplay in the book because i feel like that's where we're at in representation these days yes inclusionary cosplay and and i'm like oh we need the next step so thank yep. you for that <laughs> but you know and then like you mentioned in the book you know you know uh you said your dad was a a a, a, a cop or like because yeah. you, you have this kind of a yeah yeah and you like you call yourself like the police or mm-hmm. you know and you know um and I want to talk about you being a journalist in general. And we both worked in the trade space. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I like, may get in trouble or whatever, but at this point, I don't care. Um, I think, I don't know if you know where I'm going here, but I see a lot of what you wrote about in this book reflected in my experience working at Deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, and it spills over into the trades and the trades no longer become journalism. That's my feeling, you know, take with that what you will, you know? And I, I'm not going to say like, no, I, there were moments where I don't know your experience when you worked at trades, but I was a full-time staffer. I was an editor mm-hmm. and it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good experience. Yeah. I'm going to say that. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I was there it. four years. Yeah, I was there for four years. I had one vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that I could press legal action on that, but why bother? Mm-hmm. And everything you wrote in this book was just like, oh, yes, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's me. And also, I was one of the only people of color there. Uh, uh, and then one thing that stuck out, and I think this has to do with all as- avenues of Hollywood is that the turnaround rate for people of color in established institutions, people of color, queer people, and women, mm-hmm. and uh, 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 is so high. And yeah. I remember in my 
you know, fuck it. And like my exit interview, I told them, I was like, I'm not going to speak up, but some, one day, maybe I'm speaking up right now, one day someone's going to say something because how business is handled here, what you were saying, the managers there do not know how to be managers. Period. Point blank. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I, I think that's I really think, true. And that's, that's, yeah. Sadly, yeah. that's true of my, you know, I have had good managers in the media, but I think the media mm. is very similar to Hollywood in that they take the way that you reward someone in Hollywood or at a journalistic entity or a publication is to give them more responsibility in, in, the, in terms of more people to manage or more people to, you know, frankly, usually run roughshod over. And mm -hmm. if you give people responsibility and direct reports and they've got, they had no training on how to be a good manager, that's what Hollywood does all the time. And I've seen yeah. it happen in journalism where what it takes to be a good reporter um, or even a good like copy editor or line editor, that doesn't mean you know how to manage people or manage situations. And actually I, I have had at one workplace, I had a boss who took management courses and I do think he got better over time you know it's like it can happen but in Hollywood as in our profession it's just normal 99% of the time especially now it's just we'll learn on the job and if your learn comes at the cost of the mental health of the people around you well eh, it's fine we'll get more we'll get yeah. more of those people I don't think yeah. so I, I would want to push back a little bit on one thing I do like look let's just let's just like name it what keeps the lights on at the trade is fyc advertising and so you can't work, you gotta yeah. play work you gotta play ball enough with the studios um to keep that you know money train rolling but having said that the interesting thing is i've done some of my the, the journalism i'm most proud of for deadline not for deadline but for uh the hollywood reporter and for um variety when I was on staff there as a critic and reporter. Um, I do think you do get with the trade, what you get with the trades is access, a certain form of access. And I think that it can be hard to do so, and I'm certainly not minimizing that. But what I tried to do and what some of my colleagues definitely tried to do was use that access to get, to do real reporting and to do like really, you know, hardcore stuff and you know to some degree the trades grew out of you know the stenography machine for the studios and the agencies they wanted some news out there so somebody just wrote it up you know but mm -hmm. you know while i was at variety um you know my colleague elizabeth wagmeister and another colleague broke the story the big long story about matt lauer that everybody read yeah, yeah. that i think pretty much got him eased out Fire, the door yeah. you know like the whole like button under the desk for the door that creepy touch oh so i did uh me too in abuse reporting i mean i'm not proud that it happened but i'm like proud of what i did and i also did a lot of data reporting around lack of inclusion i you know yeah it, you do have to do a dance for sure and you have to that dance that you do is how do you use your access to the extent that you can to do real reporting and i think some people do it and then i think some people not just at the trades but elsewhere are playing the game of access to be around famous people and to stroke their egos oh. which is like oh. you know and here's the thing the, okay and now i'm just gonna like spill tea on myself if you were to say hey mo do you want to moderate a panel with lucy lawless yes i do like i like those opportunities like I would, I love to be, this is the crazy thing about my reporting career. I feel like I'm an enthusiast first. Like I want, like I actually said this to a high level PR person who of course didn't listen to me because so few of them do. I was like, put me out of business. I would rather be reviewing this thing that you're, why aren't you reviewing X or Y? Because you got a bunch of trash fires going on at your company in terms of misconduct, in terms of what you're letting happen. I'm, and that is, for me, that became the priority. And frankly, that's one of the reasons I left Varieties because I was like, I wanna do the kind of in-depth reporting that takes time and I cannot do it while writing six stories a week. You know, and, and those oh. stories were like, 
one week, some weeks I did nine, and it was a combination of reported pieces, appreciations of someone who just died, reviews, features, yeah. you know, like all of that stuff. So by the end, I was burnt. I was so burnt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this reporting is important. And the contacts I made at Variety because people people look people treat you a different way in the industry. If you say that you're on staff at one of the high level publications, so but I was like, you know what? I think I want to, you know, in the limited time I have left on this planet, um, have a life and also do the kind of reporting and also try some other things that I wanted to to do. But yeah, I mean, I would I would love it so much if I could just be gushing about, you know, the one day at a time reboot or, you know, like there are so yeah. many things I would love to just praise. But I do think that especially because these people, so many publications fold, so many reporters are out of jobs. I, I kind of felt a little bit like, you know, Gotham needs Batman. I don't know if that's self-aggrandizing, mm-hmm. but I was like, well, if people are going to trust me with this story, once it became clear that I could probably do something on Lost and I did have enough sourcing for Sleepy Hollow, I was like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to write a book because a book will not be as, <clears throat> and it's not to say that our reporting is flash in the pan, but you know how it is. It's like, it makes but, yeah. a stir yeah. for a week or a day a book is going to last longer. And that was a huge motivator for me. Yeah. I think I, I, I totally like what you're saying. And I'm, I know I complain about working at the trades, but you know, it, it's it hard. does take, I'm not going to, it takes yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I like you, like you were writing, like I was writing some days I would write six stories a day, like whether oh, it be breaking I, news, believe beats, me. you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, And then on top of that, I would do what I, I wanted to do. And that was, yeah, that was what it became done. for yeah. me too. Like, it was like, mm-hmm. I want to do all these other things, but I'm like constantly swimming as fast as I can paddling as fast as I can just to do the stuff I have to do. And so it just yeah. kind of became, I, I totally get it. Yeah. That, yeah. All you folks at Deadline, and then like, the yeah. productivity <laughs> was off the ra- off the charts. I mean, it's like even like during like TCA, mm-hmm. Comic-Con, uh, like any big event where we would have to file a story as soon as the panel ended, yeah. I would just be like, I look back on that now and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I learned to do that, but it took a lot out of oh, me. Oh, yeah. Reporting of, on the Stranger yeah. Things panel, like, as it's happening <laughs> from Hall H and Comic-Con, and, like, it's a oh to even get in there, and the Wi-Fi doesn't work, and you're like, I have been oh. literally crying in, the, in a bathroom at Comic-Con because somebody – security guards would be so weird there about letting you plug in your laptop – and, like, the yeah. press room was in this little alcove, like, a thousand miles away in the convention oh, yeah. center. So I found a, someone had a power strip, like, on the down low. It was, like, in power. Like, it was, like, they were <laughs> selling drugs. It was so the funny. I, was like, I just need 20 minutes of charging so I can write about this Walking Dead panel. And then I was, like, halfway up to charge, and I was crying tears of relief. And the security guard came in and broke up the illegal charging event. I'm like, oh my god, Comic Con, why are you insane? It is not that. It's like no, it, it is. I mean, like, oh, people, you know. I think a lot of us journalists, and I'm like you. I would like all if someone says, hey, you want to do this panel on RuPaul's Drag Race? Of course, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, it's fun. I'm, I'm, and it's like. But also, I also need to know about shit that I don't really care about because it has a lot to do with the industry, yeah. no matter what I, how much I avoid it. And trying to stay plugged in as a journalist and as a trade journalist, especially, that was a lot. Staying plugged in basically 24-7 because you check your phone immediately mm-hmm. when you wake up and like, oh, okay, I need to file this story right You're now. You're behind from I the moment you wake up. Break. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's how it became with yeah. even covering TV as a critic because the amount of TV has tripled, you know, just in the last 10 years I was on the on the job, you know. It's like, yeah. well, I don't have three brains, so I don't know how people <laughs> expect me to like take all this in. It's too much, you know. Yeah, but it's like all I was, you know, the burn it down is like definitely. I mean, I knew we knew a lot about it. I think a lot of people know. Oh yeah, this industry is very problematic, mm. very, very, very. But also, there's a reason why we love it, and I was like, mm. oh, maybe because we love it so much, we have to let go and then start over. Kind of like, oh, our kids going off to college yeah. now. <laughs> let us let. You know, let's let's kind of we have this weird kind of thing and it's 
it's weird because I love I love storytelling. I love you know seeing great things like past lives or something like something as bold as WandaVision come mm-hmm. out or something as bold as like even like Harlem, which is they're billing as a sex in the city for the black, you know, community. These kinds of things I love, but how it gets there has been a journey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, no, I yeah. mean, and that's the whole thing is like, I at least can say before Hollywood goes back into its hibernation cycle and pretends that everything is okay again, which is where it was heading mm-hmm. when I began writing this book, I can, I mean, I'm, I'm heartened that people are listening to the message because I really got very alarmed when I began on down this journey of like writing a book. A big part of it was, so we had Me Too break open in 2017 you know, there was good report, solid reporting before that, but that broke the industry open in a different way. And then we allegedly had reckonings on race in 2020. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to tell you, studio, that putting a black square on your Instagram did not <laughs> fix it. It didn't fix it. I know, like, so, like, it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to have these conversations. And what I want to, I want to kind of do a couple things with this book, say, it's not fixed. We're not there yet. I will hold space for the fact that myself included, sometimes I'm uncomfortable. Sometimes I've made mistakes. So we have to allow for people make mistakes. How can we make the industry as a whole better? The biggest way to do that is to hold these companies accountable and not just for the bad people that they allow to run rampant, but what support systems do you have? What money are you spending on making sure and monitoring that these workplaces are as good and as healthy and respectful as they can be. So there has to be all that. But then again, I I also want to hold space for this. Do not piss off an Irish girl from the south side of Chicago. (laughs) You are going to regret it. Some of these people... I know you'll be surprised to hear some people in the industry because of the way creativity and passion and drive have been coded are sociopaths. They're clinical narcissists. They're abusive personality types. They're damaging people engaging in damaging patterns and they don't want to change. And now some of them are able to cloak themselves in the language of social justice and they know what things to say, but it's all surprisingly for this industry, a cosmetic, like it's a cosmetic facelift, you know, it's like, it's not the real change. So if this industry keeps giving chances to known sociopaths who they do not monitor to see if they've really changed, then I will just keep burning it down because that's not okay. Yeah. You know, there are some people, oh, but where's the mercy? I talked to a rabbi for my book because I anticipated <laughs> the question. I'm like, I was raised by nuns and I talked to a rabbi and I talked to a criminal justice psychologist. And I talked to uh-huh. all these people because I knew that some of these people in the industry, you, you've met them, I've met them. Well, we have uh-huh. to have compassion. Okay. First of all, we have to have compassion for the survivors of the abuse and the misconduct. Work. Yeah. Get them into the conversation. What do they need? What jobs would they like back? What would what would mm-hmm. help them feel whole or at least noticed in this situation? Mm. So we can't just prioritize. Oh gosh, what is the man, the bad man's path back or the bad person's path back? We have to prioritize survivors. We have to prioritize the unglamorous work that is creating good norms, creating healthy workplaces. And then if you're going to bring some of these folks back, oh my gosh, what makes me insane? Why are you bringing this person back? Oh, well, he, he said he had therapy. Oh, did he say that now? There, uh, That's not even a cosmetic nonsense town thing. Like that's nothing. So some people don't change they don't want to change and they are sadistic and enjoy hurting other people or for whatever reason keep on hurting other people you cannot take their word for anything and the thing is in an industry where abuse has been coded as creativity to also ignore those facts is actually it's dangerous to people it's dangerous to their bodies it's dangerous to their careers it's very dangerous to their mental health Let's not pretend that this is not an, like, this is an industry that has long attracted people who like to abuse power because they can. And the people Mm. above them in all these food chains 
are letting them do it, and I'm just putting all of them on notice, if you let people do that, you are also at fault. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Come on, TED Talk. <laughs> no, oh, I just Oh, man, think, you got I, me going. <laughs> no, I know. Because, like, I think it's just... I mean, I've, I, I appreciate this book so much. And like, I'll, I think a lot of us enter this industry to have fun mm-hmm. and then it's totally. not fun. Cool. <laughs> and then it's, it's fun. not fun. Yeah. And then, and, and then you start to resent it and then you start to resent yourself. Yeah. And you're like, oh, why did, what did I get myself into? Like, why am I here? Like, and also why and am I, I know, ruining I it? I call myself the ruiner. Yeah. Cause you know, I am <laughs> like, yeah, now people have perhaps different views on certain shows or certain people, whatever. No, but I saw as such, you, you should, that kind of glaring, it is, that's why the problematic fave, exactly. you know, it's like, oh, we could still like Lost for the storytelling that it did. Of course. And like the trick, but like, look at what, but what was the collateral damage? Thank you. Of that? We have, and yeah. that was, you know, I'm very aware of the role of us in the media and mm-hmm. it's, we shape people's images. We shape, mm-hmm. we shape the awards chatter around a film. We shape, yeah. you know, the image management. I mean, when you're at a trade, you are within the belly of the beast of it, that is called yeah. image management because you know who gets the cover and who wanted the cover and who didn't get the cover and who was hired for the photo shoot. And I mean, all the negotiations that go into that. And, and the thing is, again, like I, I get it. Like this is somebody's image is their money. You know, that's their bank account. That's their future. I get why people take it so seriously, but within that, um, I, I was very conscious of, you know, Saturday Night Live is going to have a big anniversary in a couple of years. And yeah. Lost is having a big anniversary next year. I'm not saying, I, I'm not going to, I couldn't go back into the past and take away all the, the Lost coverage I did for the Chicago Tribune. Because, by the way, the tr- Chicago Tribune's new owners did that for me. They wiped, you know, 13 years of my life's work off the internet. Wow. Yeah. So I have copies on I my can't heart. I can't You know, <laughs> so... I'm not saying disappear that or don't have liked this, invent a time machine and go back and don't like Sleepy Hollow. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying it's important to understand. And now I understand that just talking to a very few people at the top is only going to get you a very narrow glimpse of what went on. And I, something I did in the last chapter, and this was a very deliberate choice for my problematic fave and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to judge anybody who sits down and watches Lost tomorrow because a lot of artisans and actors and people worked on that and worked their asses off to make it good yeah and if you feel still feel moved by it I wouldn't judge that either but um I I now understand that I was look you know I said the choice that I made with that chapter was the voices that you hear for the first three quarters of that chapter are not the showrunners yeah because those are the people that typically and i did this you know for the six seven years that show was on the air i prioritized their voices over those of other people and now Mm. you know it's not enough to have regret how are you going to alter your behavior now i'm altering my behavior and i've altered my behavior as a reporter and a critic and a chronicler of the industry to be someone who says who aren't we hearing from and how is yeah, that affecting like that. the workplace and the storytelling yeah i like that and then you know i think and you know the book like i said you know both of us have been in the industry, but I also think like media is like, it's just really interesting island, you know, outside of Hollywood yeah. in this interesting way. And it's like, we develop relationships with publicists, with talent, mm-hmm. with direct, you know, it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. And, yeah. I never and it's know. All, but like, not, what's, yeah. you know, I go yeah. to TCA and what's I'd be legal? like, should I yeah. be at the bar with it? Like just a bunch yeah. of us hanging out at a party? Like, it's weird. Yeah, but. And that's like what we said about being in media. It's like, all, you know, I know I said like all the trades aren't journalism, but I get it. And that's more of a, that's a cog in the system. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of the system yes. that is, is a little bit broken. And I yeah. think, 
And yeah, and then I just think what you did with this book has just been like, oh my God. I'm like, oh, I'm glad. And it's like, okay, now we're getting, the, this is like the next stage of visibility, right? Like visibility and all that good stuff, you know, great, 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 you know, inclusion, representation, whatever. But now I'm like, oh, okay, now we're going to have this bigger conversation and like the, you know, we recognize the problems. Now no one's talking about solutions. Yeah. And I think that's what this book, and I'm glad that you had those chapters of, right. with the rabbi. You know, that rabbi, I was like a work, like these five stages mm -hmm. of like. Her book you know, is amazing, by the way. And it's yeah. really, it's really practical too, because, you know, I, I learned a lot by researching this book. And it to me, I didn't want to just do like, um, a bunch of takedowns because, you know, as I've been saying, I don't want to leave people hopeless because that would be, yeah. um, that would be erasing the contributions of those who are trying to make a better industry and have really sacrificed a lot to try to highlight, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the thing is, um, Javier, uh, Grigio Mark's watch posted the 11 yeah. laws of show running 2016 and I remember him telling me kind of off the record, oh, I'm going to be doing this. And I think, you know, my reps, kind of, I think his reps were a little bit like, oh, you know, reps are always nervous about any anyone talking at any time yeah, about anything. Just about. Skittish. <laughs> yeah, they're always skittish. But, you know, he said that since that time, it's he kind of laid down a marker and he's worked for better bosses because now people kind of know what he's about. And, you know, it kind of, he didn't say it in so many words, but it, it just felt like I won't put up with something that's far more difficult or damaging than this, than I've laid out here. Yes, this is a difficult job. And that's one thing I wanted to acknowledge, too, is the industry, the high-level executives that most of the public will never know, they keep throwing people off the deep end into jobs that are incredibly challenging and difficult on the best day. And then sometimes there's a bad day and your whole set gets knocked down by a storm or, you know, mm. COVID hits or whatever. These are hard jobs. I also want to, you know, just acknowledge that they're hard jobs that people don't get enough education in, in these leadership roles. And then you have someone like David O. Russell, who like the litany of things that he has done to A-list people in this industry is oh. genuinely bananas. When I began doing the research, I'm like, I don't understand. I mean, first of all, you're not going to make my queen Amy Adams cry right? on set. How dare Constantly. he? I'm just forever angry about that. Um, it's just crazy to me what people have had to put up with and... Now I sort of feel like I'm just, you know, kind of a, <laughs> there's a musician I liked called Freelance Hellraiser. That's what I am. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just a freelance Hellraiser. I, no, yeah. I, I've had the experience. I've seen it all. They can't fire me because I don't work for them. And, you know, it. I do take risks because I have been threatened many times with lawsuits. I hope not this time. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's like, I think it's, I just think what you did with this book is amazing. And I think that's like, all. this is kind of like the journalism, like after leaving Deadline, I was like, oh, what's next for mm -hmm. me? It's like, I thought I wanted to start something and like kind of real quick, it's like what you were mentioning in the book, I was basically repeating the behavior I was doing at Deadline and applying it to Diaspora because mm -hmm. mindlessly just like, all, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. And right. I was like, oh, no. And I just recently realized, I was like, oh, no, I don't have to work like that anymore. I don't have to churn out anything. And so now I just like write an article per week and then I do the podcast and then I do consulting work for GLAAD and for any other people, you know, who, who want to hire me. Uh, but I just I just think this book is, I, I really appreciated you writing this. And it's like, it is it is the journalism that I recently, you know, we, I, I, you know, the flash, Issa Rae mentioned the flash in the book. Mm -hmm. And I recently just wrote about the flash yeah. and how I watched it at CinemaCon and how no one batted an eyelash because all they care about is filling seats in their movie theaters. That's all they care about. That's all. And mm -hmm. they care about protecting this, this predator, you know, this groomer who, who openly was seen on film, allegedly choking someone. Right. Also, and they were protecting him. They're like, oh, oh, sorry, them, sorry. They made a appearance at the premiere. They said a couple words and everyone thinks they are a hero, I think. And it's just like, 
And then I was like, oh, you know what? Instead of complaining, it sounds about right. Yeah. That's what I said. Oh, exactly. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. just, you know, I don't take away from all the people who worked on that film, but they were yeah. all done dirty by a studio that refused to truly acknowledge the damage done. And that's, and that's one of the big things that I took away from the rabbi, and this applies to so many situations in the industry and in my book, fully acknowledge the harm that was done first. I mean, one of these yeah. days, I want to get from one of these major companies, gigantic billion dollar, multi-billion dollar companies, a press release that just says the truth, which is, we don't care about the people that work for us. We just want to make money and preserve access and money and paychecks for our top executives. Because that's mm. what your actions too often are saying. And yeah. it's not good enough, you know? I mean, I think it's there are trends in the industry that are still disturbing on the inclusion front. They're disturbing on, you know, uh, what will be tolerated. And for me, the flip of the flash is always Batgirl. You know, oh my god, I said that exact same thing. So you're gonna ninety shelve, million dollars. <laughs> you're gonna shelve a movie starring a young woman of color on the come up, and she won't have that experience of opening that film. And those directors were, um, you know, I believe they were um, I, I, people I think of color as well, or the, yeah, yeah, Middle Eastern. They're from, they're, uh, yeah, 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 Mina, I think. Mina, exactly. So, and the, so, so the thing is, action speaks so loudly. I, the words are nice, but we've all seen the press releases. Sometimes I'll be digging into a story where a lot of bad stuff happened. We value our employees, and we wouldn't, you know, we look into every instance of blah blah blah, and I'm like take the actions including the preventative actions that actually demonstrate every day that you care about your employees or stop mm. saying it or say something like oh this happened so now we've implemented these mm -hmm. guidelines these requirements and you know what i really things, respect yeah. you know if some companies a couple years ago one of them was a warner media we're going to do these annual reports on inclusion and hiring and sometimes you'll see in the yeah. reports where they themselves point out we need to cut we need to do better on this particular arena or we need to do better on that mm -hmm. but what happens is you as we've all seen there's executive shuffle right at the top and so you have an executive who cares about that and then they leave and then it just stops again oh it, and it, it it's a it's a whole vicious cycle and it's just like you know, I mean, I know we, we're running out of time here, but I, I could, I swear I could talk to you. Well, about, we'll maybe we do sequel. need to do a part two. We'll do part two. <laughs> part two. Because I, I really did want to get into SNL and Sleepy oh, Hollow and even talk more about like journalism and mm. like, we could just even have our own podcast. We could. Um, we could. <laughs> I don't know. Everything's, every, I'm up, every, I'm out of work at the moment. So yeah, once this press cycle is over, I got to look for a gig. No, but, um, you know, I just think the book kind of really cracks. It's like kind of, it was already cracked open. It cracked it open wide, mm -hmm. you know, because, and I hope people read it. And, you know, I well, I think a lot of people in this industry will connect to a story in it. If you work, no matter where you work, below the line, journalist, publicist, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. I think every single person in the industry is going to connect to something in this book. Well, and I, you know, I guess I'll, be, I'll circle back to what we talked about at the start and hopefully leave your listeners on a hopeful note that yeah. I thought that I would have from the public and from the industry a lot more pushback, a lot more, mm -hmm. you heard our feelings, our delicate feelings. If anything, I've gotten this incredibly heartening response of we need to do much more proactive, measurable doable things and that's why the last third of the book is solutions ideas and it's yeah. not complete because i'm not like a management training consultant but they should yeah. hire you for that um but yeah. you know there are people working their butts off to make things better and through guild actions through a strike through a story when people in the industry through me too when they come together think about the roster of people from 2013 who was in power in the industry and now a number yeah. of titans have been toppled and maybe that would have happened anyway just through executive churn but i actually take heart from the fact that 
it seems insurmountable at times. I get it. When you say stuff like that, I'm like, I feel it in my soul. But I do think that we have seen change. We, we do have people in the industry that are committed to this stuff and we, I got to help, help them tell their stories too. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, you know, I know I'm, everyone knows me as like kind of this curmudgeon in Hollywood or like I see myself as like, oh, everything's trash, but I love it anyway. But yeah, also it's just like, oh, I love so much about this industry. It's introduced me to so many kind people, so many great, talented people. Totally. It's just unfortunate that the, their talent may never get seen or may never get heard or may don't get the fostering it deserves because of the system that we're in. And that's just how it has to be. Unless we burn it down, hashtag burn it down. Hashtag burn it down, baby. In stores now. Oh, in stores now. So, Maureen, your book is in stores now. Wherever you get books, is there like a place you want people to get it? Uh, well, I love the indie bookstores. I, I love, yeah. the, the week my book came out, um, the, the top sellers at bookshop.org were Elliot Page's memoir, and then right behind Elliot's book was my book for new releases. And Aww, I was like, no. I feel like I'm in the best company ever. Hooray. So Bookshop's great. Any other retailer is great. Anyone you buy it from, I thank you from the bottom of my dead, desiccated, loving, <laughs> wonderful heart. <laughs> also, and I do... I stress if you're in the industry, read it. It's, it will make you, I think it will, like there's already a fire lit under us as journalists. We're skeptics, we're cynics, Mm -hmm. we're whatever. But that just, just was like, okay, now I'm like, I know where the direction we need to go now. It's, it's like, only this is like first and like, I hope will be one of many books, articles that kind of just challenge and interrogate a system that wasn't built for white, cisgender, Mm -hmm. hetero, able-bodied, men Mm. um but yes um also you know what and you know where can people reach you on the interwebs do you on on the the interwebs i'm still uh instagram i'm mo ryan 66 um twitter i'm still on the twitter hellhole it's mo ryan (laughs) at mo ryan m-o-r-y-a-n and i have a site i need to update it but a lot of my info and links to my past work is there and that's just m-o-r yan.com moryan.com so you can find me yeah. and um mm-hmm. you know tag me say hi um if you yeah. listen to this podcast and, yeah. i already like you <laughs> and we'll also put all your links and thank good you. stuff in our like show notes and all thank that good you. stuff mo thank you so much thank hopefully you. we'll do this again I'll, I'll see you i mean i'm sure i don't know you come to la every so often so maybe I i'll hope see you so. in the mix and something yeah, I hit a, yeah. I, it's so cool that we got to hang out it was great having you I, this was awesome the problematic fave podcast is presented by diaspora and is created hosted and produced by dino ray ramos The series is also produced by Sanjay Sharma of Marginal Media Works and edited by Brian Aguilar. Special thanks to Cam. Subscribe to Problematic Fave on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Diaspora is a media platform that amplifies intentionally exploited communities through its work. Follow Diaspora at Real Diaspora on Instagram and Twitter or visit thediasporatimes.com. Follow Marginal at M-R-G-N-L Media on Instagram. You can send us all your problematic faves on social or email us at thisisdiaspora at gmail.com.